0: Listener Production.
1: Okay, are you recording?
0: Hello, great to have you on board. Welcome along to episode 15 of the Howie Games. Here in Australia, it is the first day of summer. Woohoo! No better guest to celebrate it than a seven-time world surfing champion, Lane Beachley. Lane is a fascinating, warm, engaging, intelligent, determined woman. She was an adopted child, who as she talks about in this episode of the Howie Games, was an elite athlete who at times struggled with self-doubt. But Lane had a phenomenal drive to win and win and win and win some more.
2: Now, crew, me and the Big Penguin love Lane. Big time. She was so radical on her stick pickle, used to get chucked out of her mind. Deep, heavy, throaty barrels, just like me. Turn it up, penguin. You're just a break operator. At least I'm not on a big boogie board like you, pickle. Ease up, pingo. Anyway, if you haven't subscribed to the Howie Games, it's time. Don't be a fool. <laughs> be cool. <laughs>
0: Anyway, I first met Lane when she came into Channel 7 Sports World years ago with a fella by the name of Ken Bradshaw, who we talk about in this ep. It was my job to look after them in the green room before they went on air. Now, Ken is a big, strong, tough sort of unit, a real brooding type, a big, big, big wave rider, and Lane... Well Laney was truly like a ray of sunshine Bouncing around, making everyone feel good about themselves And that's the Lane Beachley I know Uh, Being a surfer that's lucky to stand up on a board I must admit I'm a bit in awe of Lane She's a great surfer and an even greater woman Enjoy this chat with Lane Beachley, OAM
1: Oh my jaja, tell me why Won't they open up their eyes They could help out if they try, try, try if they would try, try, try...
0: What about this? We welcome to the Howie Games seven-time world self-champion and a lady I've adored for a long, long, long time, Lane Beach, the heat going?
1: Let the games begin, Howie. Let
0: the games begin. I'm sure and
1: you've heard that a lot. A yeah,
0: well, most people laugh at the name, to be completely frank with really? you. Really? Well, I, I, I actually came up with it because the first episode that I did recorded was with Dennis Cometti, and uh, this is when we were getting off the ground, mm. and he all of a sudden rang me and said, yeah, let's do it tomorrow morning. And so I sat out on a surfboard having a think about what on earth am I going to call this podcast? Um, I didn't have long and I think I did a pretty poor job of it, but what can you do, Laney? Now, you. Well,
1: you come up with a game, I mean, a name like Howie Games. Well, that's exactly right. That's what you have, do.
0: And I've thought of a million better ones since then. But anyway, um, <laughs> well, this is about you, not me. Okay. And we'll start at the start in a minute, but you've just bustled in here. It's uh, We are recording this on the 14th of October. Mm. Uh, last night, Michelle Payne has just won the Don Award for the most inspirational Australian sports performance of the year. Mm-hmm. You're running a little bit late. Just tell me about your morning, because this will encapsulate the life of Lane Beachley <laughs> as it is today.
1: Well, I got. If I trans- let me give, tell you about the last twenty four hours. Yes, of do that. Matter. So because I was up till three thirty four a.m. Uh, on Thursday night watching Tyler Wright win her maiden world title. Fantastic. Then I had to get up at six to then do a stream of media. Uh, to talk about how fantastic Tyler Wright is, mm. um, and I'm the chair of Surfing Australia, so I've become like this spokesperson for everything that happens in Australian surfing. <laughs> it's Ask Lane. I'm shy of an opinion, as you know. <laughs> oh, very, very
0: <laughs> quietly, sort of spoken, tight you are.
1: <laughs> I'm a wallflower. No one puts baby in the corner.
0: No. And so
1: <laughs> I, um, so I did hours and hours of interviews. Then I had a board meeting for the Sport Australia Hall of Fame, and then. I've just launched a um, a bikini range with Funkita and it was a a product for purpose campaign around my Aim for the Stars Foundation. So I designed this swimwear and then um, they went on and have produced these... Two different styles, Beach Dreams and, and Surfstar. And and so I went over to them to- Where can we get them? You can get them on funkita.com.
0: Funkita, how do you spell that?
1: F-U-N-K-I-T-A, funkita.com. funkita.com. Cool. Yep. So you can get some swimwear off that. And that. All 10% of all the sales go back to my Aim for the Stars Foundation, which provides financial and moral support for young girls and women to achieve their dreams across all walks of life. And so after lunch, I then um, had to go and get my hair and makeup done and then go to the awards last night and I'm a member of the Sport Australia Mm. Hall of Fame, sitting on the board of Sport Australia Hall of Fame. I had to sit on the VIP table, so I shared dinner last night with John Howard, Ian Thorpe, John Bertrand, John Wiley.
0: Wow. Um,
1: So, yeah, that was – and uh, 1,100 other people. Is Johnny Howard into
0: his surfing? Has he ever been barrelled, do you think?
1: He's never been barrelled. He may have been in the green room, but that was in Parliament.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Good by you,
1: lady. Uh, But uh, (laughs) he does does love his sport, which is why he's co-patron along with Bob Hawke of the Sport Australia Hall of Fame. So that was fantastic and he spoke beautifully. He got up, actually, before he got up to go and speak, he um, he said to John Bertrand, what do I do now? And John said, just talk about how much you love sport. And really? he got up there and it was like he'd been rehearsing this incredible speech. He was fantastic, as John always was is. He a great PM. He is a great He was a great, great PM. Was As a great PM. we've
0: seen in the last 10 years, this is not a political show, Lane. No, but I know. We've missed... Johnny.
1: We have missed Johnny. We've missed his leadership and, and just his humility and modesty. Anyway, um, and intelligence, um, intellect. Um, and then this morning? And then this morning I was supposed to, um, I, I had a, a breakfast meeting, well, uh, uh, just time to have breakfast with Michelle Payne this morning. So that was at 9.15. I woke up at 9 a.m. And uh, mm. and so I was, I was almost ready to walk out the door at 9.15. And then the Premier of New South Wales, Mike Baird, gave me a call because we're talking about, um, expanding the high performance center up at Casuarina. He rang you. He rang me. Yes, um, and he was sitting on the beach at Queenscliff in his car, doing some work calls before heading into work. And um, so I was late for breakfast, and the, and and I can only say to Michelle, I'm sorry. The Premier of New South Wales just gave me a call, and I had to attend to some business. So therefore, I'm late for you, and then I'm late for the next appointment, and on it goes. But anyway, that's life. See, this encapsulates
0: where you are, and that's why I wanted to do that. How did I get here. here? Well, I, I don't know because let's let's go. So these things always start better at the start, Laney. Um, growing up as a tomboy on the, well, the northern beaches of Sydney, mm-hmm, how you know, how are you now have the premier ringing you and demanding your time is an extraordinary thing. What is Mike you...
1: Baird's a good bloke? That's why. Does he surf? Yeah, he's a great surfer. Oh, there you go. Loves his surfing. Does he? Yeah. I'll
0: vote for him next year. <laughs> if I ever move to New South Wales, he's got my vote. And that's the thing was, need.
1: we were talking about funding and and organising meetings, and then all of a sudden he stops and goes, "Hang on, look at that left hander peeling along." the <laughs> like, square on. (laughs) What a dude! What a dude! Yeah, he loves. So, where did it
0: start, Lainey? What are your first? We we normally start here with what are your first memories of your sport or first memories of life in Mm. general. But is your first memories of a beach or a house or a person or a?
1: Hmm, my first memories are of a beach. When I was about six months old. I really? Think. Yeah, being plonked on the sand, uh, in the sun, feeling the sun on my skin and the sand under my toes and feeling the water on my skin and just going, well, oh, I'm alive and I belong here. <laughs> cool. <laughs> and this is where I shall stay.
0: So this is at North Northern Beaches? This is at Manly. Right. Yeah,
1: and uh, Mantown, how I like to prefer. To Mantown. Man. I prefer Mantown. to call it Mantown.
0: So when did you first jump on a craft?
1: Because I jumped on a skateboard when I was three.
0: Right, and massive tomboy.
1: Yeah. Massive tomboy. I was nothing but a tomboy. I wanted to be a boy. Did it you? It was just easier. Yeah. So I, everything my big brother Jason did, I wanted to do better, and I did.
0: Were you good on a skateboard?
1: <laughs> I was good on a skateboard. Yeah, I loved it. I used to jump, walk all the way to the top of the hill um, at, at the end of our street and just fly down. And Dad would see these long blocks of long locks of hair, blonde hair, fly past the wind the window and he'd walk out into the balcony and just listen just in the event that I may have hit a car or <laughs> come unstuck. But then he'd see me walk back up. <laughs>
0: back to the top of the back hill? Back to the
1: top of the hill and do it all again. Faster, Daddy, faster! And then I used to also do it. We had a big um, grass hill that I, we used to run to the top of and fly down it as well on skateboards and go-karts that, of course, you always forget to put the brakes on when you Make your own go kart. Of course you do. Of yep.
0: course you do. And you, and the first time into the water, can you remember a, a first craft, a first board, a first wave? It
1: was a foamy bought from KFC back in the KFC. <laughs> I think so. I remember I used to make those foamies <laughs> with do. the blue. I do. Yeah, that used to rash the crap yeah, out of your stomach. Yeah, that's and the it. plastic, uh, red plastic fin- single fin. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I started in the best equipment, um, and so I surfed that. And until that blue hessian cover fell apart, and then I just rode the foam, the styrofoam board. And I served to foamy from the age of four until I was about 13. Really? Mm. So I was on a foamy for a good nine years and then it, decided it was time to step up. Was it instant love? Was it instant? Yes. It was. It was. The, the
0: feeling, love. the, the Just lifestyle? The,
1: the freedom, the freedom of expression, the the lifestyle, the, the sense of belonging, the lack of fear, mm. the, the absence of judgment. The whole thing, the absence of judgment. Yeah, the surfing, just being in the water and being in the ocean, and being, and also now I reflect on that and with a a little sense of a greater sense of self awareness and consciousness, is that was a that um, uh, surrendering. So I am a self confessed control freak when I am on land. So going in the ocean and surfing teaches me to relinquish control, right? Because I am in a force and a power way more powerful than I am. So I have to relinquish and just go with the flow, let it go.
0: Different times then, um, and I love it now that you know, I'm teaching my daughter to surf and half the kids out there learning to surf are girls. Yes, and isn't it
1: fantastic? Apparently, apparently it's my fault.
0: Well, it, it's it's not a fault. It's a, it it's a wonderful thing, Lane. Mm-hmm. And I guess now, you know, when I started trying to learn to surf, a girl was a rarity in the surf and now it's probably where I am in Victoria where the water's a bit colder, probably <laughs> 25% are girls wow. now, which is fantastic. In your days in Manly... Mm. I'm thinking it wasn't 25. percent It was
1: one percent. That was me. It <laughs>
0: was you, the little tomboy.
1: <laughs> why stand? Why fit in when you're born to stand out? That's right? it. That's exactly <laughs>
2: so, right. You. That's
1: me. Um, and so when I when I started surfing, there was occasionally Pam Burrage would show up occasionally because she surfed at Manly, and then there was another. Was other, she a goddess to you? Um, you know, I never, I never had goddesses. I never had idols or heroes okay. because I never wanted to be like anybody else. I just wanted to be the best version of me. So I never had these heroes that I stuck on my wall and went, "I'm going to be just like them." I didn't want to be like anyone else. You're a
0: freak. I just wanted to be You're me. A freak. Like, eventually. <laughs> I just wanted to be me. Uh, yeah. So, so what were the boys like? Did you have to prove yourself? How of do you course, prove yourself? You know,
1: yeah. As a girl growing up in a male-dominated environment, you've always got to prove yourself. And unfortunately, I had that at home as well. So, with my dad and my brother, yep. my mother uh, died when I was six. So, I've grown up in this male-dominated environment. So, the beach and the surf was just an extension of that. And uh, but fortunately, I found my tribe very early. I found this this uh, group of guys that I hung out with and, and felt accepted by and, and belonged to and, and had a good time with. You know, we became this this foundation of support and and understanding and a group that we, we spoke our own vernacular. You know, we had mm-hmm. our own jargon and language just mm-hmm. to communicate with and we just enjoyed each other's company. And then when I started uh, surfing on a fiberglass surfboard... Um, that group expanded, of course, because I had to move up to the northern or mid-section of the beach. To move up the beach. Move up the beach, yes, because uh, I could no longer surf in the southern corner because that's where the flags are. And that's when I found an even bigger tribe. And then they had the confidence in me to start our own boardwriters club because none of us wanted to go all the way up to the northern end of the beach where QBC, Queenscliff Boardwriters Club, was surfing. So mm. we started our own and they made me president. I was the only girl in the club, but I was the president of the club, being somewhat organised and a bit of a control freak. So I was happy to do that. That club was called Manly Pipe Riders and we surfed right off that first southern pipe, those two, there's two stormwater yep. pipes that divide the beach. I started that club right there and generated sponsorship and And I think we only ran it for a couple of years and then I decided I just don't want to do this anymore. That's, I'm going to join QBC. That's when you needed the premier then. It was probably like Neville Rand or someone like that that yeah, you needed to get I wonder, on board No, as I think it was even before. Old, was
0: it? Yeah. You, you mentioned your mum and... Um, I read your book again, oh. uh, probably three weeks ago. Beneath the Waves. It's a it's a fantastic book, Lainey. Thank you. Um, I got it on iBooks actually, so oh. you join the revolution. Yeah, it's um, the digital revolution. Yeah, it is. And your upbringing was different to the average person, to say the least. Mm. Um, and it's too private a thing for me to ask you directly about. So you just explain it to me from where you sit, Lainey. I think is the best way to do it, if you don't mind.
1: Okay. As opposed to how Hamish wrote it in the paper a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, I read that. Yeah.
0: I read that and it was really – you're talking about an article written by Hamish McLaughlin in The Herald Sun and Mm. I found it really confronting.
1: I bet. And, you know, because I own my story and I'm I'm quite vulnerable and I'm very – That's why
0: I can't ask you about it.
1: Yeah, right. So uh, it's interesting – I neglect to have that level of empathy for people who are reading my story because I'm so okay with it. I just expect everyone else to be okay with but it. But you understand how I completely understand private it would
0: be. Absolutely,
1: to, absolutely. Like we're
0: mates, but we don't yeah. sit around and discuss our families over 19 beers type of thing. Exactly. When these
1: things... Last weekend, I was the MC at a Lifeline ball, and John Brogdon got up and spoke about his suicide attempt. Wow. And I found that quite confronting, even though I've known John for many, many years, even before he was premier or the leader of the opposition. Actually, uh, in New South Wales, and I just went, wow. I I was, I was actually surprised at how restless I was with, even though I knew all about it and Mm. had been good friends with him. So I get, I totally get where you're coming from. So. To, uh, in the effect of, of not wanting to make you feel uncomfortable sitting here in the studio. Well, no, it with won't you. make me
0: uncomfortable. It'll make me uncomfortable to ask you directly about oh, it. Oh,
1: like. okay. All right. Well, let me tell you. <laughs> um, yes. Yeah, so I was adopted at birth and I was conceived, according to my mother, my biological mother, who I met when I was 27 years of age. She um, informed me that I was conceived through date rape. And. At the time I didn't know how I felt about that because it just it just seemed incomprehensible. Mm. You know, I've just heard from a person saying that she's my mother and then telling me how I came into this world and and so yeah, I can see why that's pretty confronting as a seventeen year old woman. Um being raped and then deciding to go through the pregnancy and and giving birth and then being told by her family, that actually being forced by her family to give me up, which I'm incredibly grateful for because uh, I was adopted by such a beautiful family and my mother uh, who adopted me, Valerie, uh, and my dad, Neil, and my brother, Jason, were a beautiful family and, and my mother, Valerie, couldn't have any more kids after some complications after giving birth to Jason. So they always wanted a boy and a girl. And 10 months was all it took after they applied. <laughs> By the way, you know, Valerie got the phone call and went, um, your daughter's ready to be picked up. Really? Come and get her. Because apparently these days it's such a difficult oh, process. Apparently it's a nightmare, which yeah. is why Deborah Lee Finesse and and yeah. Adopt Change are working so hard to change legislation. Anyway... Um, so, yeah, they went and picked me up and brought me home and, and, um, and the rest is history, as they say. But when I was six years old, we had the deep misfortune of losing Valerie. to a, uh, She had a brain hemorrhage during cosmetic surgery, um, undetected high blood pressure. Out of the blue. Out of the blue. Devastating. Absolutely devastating. And as a six-year-old, I didn't understand the concept of losing someone as so impactful as, as your mother. And about
0: your old man at the
1: time? Yeah, I know. And Dad's so resilient and so strong. And, and, I mean, my dad's been through hell and back. He's one of my greatest inspirations. He lost Valerie when I was six. He, lost, he then remarried when I was 24 to Christina and lost her when I was 31 to breast cancer. So he's watched two loves of his life. Pass away in front of him, and then he's had three kids to three different mothers. So it's he's had a he's pretty he's had a rough trot, but he still gets up every day and runs the length of Manly Beach and and gives us gives life a good Neil. Yep, Neil. Neil. Yeah, he's my rock. Anyway, when I was six, that happened. But when I was eight, that's when Dad told me I was adopted. And do you remember that? Conversation? I do remember that conversation because it was it was heart wrenching, not oh, heartbreaking, no. just heart wrenching. Because I felt, and you know, it's our thoughts that create how we feel about something. You know, our thoughts lead to emotions and actions and then those actions determine the results that you produce in your life. And, and I love to refer to uh, the difference between having a victim mentality versus a victor mentality and, mm. and the victim mentality is a mentality of I can't believe this is happening to me. I can't believe I was rejected at birth. I can't believe my own mother didn't want me. I can't believe that I feel why, why have I been so abandoned, so rejected. I can't believe this is, this is just, this is not right. And I, 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 can't, I don't know what to do about this. And that's the victim mentality. That's the victim. That's the victim. The victor goes, all right, I'm not going to go through this for nothing. I'm going to turn this into something positive. I understand that life has ebbs and flows. And of course, I don't have this conscious awareness as an eight-year-old. But I do remember sitting there going, I'm not deserving of love. So how can I make myself deserving of love? I know I'll become a world champion. Everyone will love me.
0: That's it, right? That's yeah. it. <laughs> That's the crux of you winning seven world surf titles. That's right, the crux right?
1: of me winning six in a row. The seventh one, completely different mentality. We'll, we'll get to that. Yeah. So one to six was in survival mode, and seven was in ease and grace. To
0: prove that you were. Worthy to prove of that
1: love. I was deserving of love.
0: Bloody hell, that's, um, that's intense. Let's, yeah, it let's was be intense. Honest, like, yeah, that, that, that's intense. And
1: I was intense.
0: Yeah, yeah. The first time I met you was intense, and well, I'll get to okay. I look forward you, to you, reflecting with an in- on that intense character as well. I um,
1: was an intense person. Yeah, very much so. Yeah, yeah. yeah I don't. Were. I can't deny who I was, and I, I do reflect on those periods of my life and go, "My God, who was that?"
0: <laughs> well, maybe that's what you needed.
1: You well, know? that's what people ask you. Do you think you could have, would have, should have, if you weren't like that? And I say I can't answer that question because oh, it's I what I believed. So. It's what I believed I needed to be. Yeah. But quite honestly. Now, if I ever fall back into that survival mode, I seek proof of the opposite because I know it doesn't have to be that hard. You know, when your expectations are lofty, they're up here in the sky and life keeps delivering way down here on the table, everything in the middle is pain, suffering and struggle. And if you, if you continue to succeed despite all the pain and suffering and struggle, you believe that the only way to, to achieve your expectations is through pain, suffering and struggle. Mm. And I was a self-fulfilling prophecy of that <laughs> from... 1972, until I won my sixth world title in 2003.
0: Which, as I said, we'll get to, which I can only believe then when you've changed that mentality. It must be one of the great release of your life to almost get your life back. But, lady...
1: Releasing a pressure valve.
0: Oh, a massive pressure valve, especially when it's sort of 20-odd years of build-up. So your surfing is going well. Um, As in now? Not now. we're reflecting Then, we're still in reflection mode. Surfing was going great. Um, Well,
1: I thought so. (laughs)
0: <laughs> Until not, I went and found a surf coach. Well, so not naturally amazing. Uh, are you? Are you a hard worker? Yes. Combined with some talent. You're not one of those athletes that's just naturally...
1: There's no raw talent within me. Right. (laughs) That's a lie because I have have a great amount of balance. I'm really uh, physically balanced, not emotionally and (laughs) mentally balanced, especially back then. At least you got one. More so now, but the physical balance was definitely... um, So
0: when did you start to become good and people be aware and you maybe become aware that um, this is what you can do?
1: Around about... Fifteen or sixteen was when I started. You're still at school then. I'm still in high school. Yep. Yep. You're ten and eleven. I started competing in the regional events when I was fifteen. I came dead last in the first event I ever competed in, and that shattered my confidence. Last. But, yeah, dead last. Far and as far last as you could possibly come. How many are in it? Oh, there. I don't. It was a. It was actually a, a charity event, um, like a fundraising charity event to raise money for a surfer that had lost his life a few months prior. Um, and it was a, you know, it was an organised event that a lot of people competed in. But and it was a men and women's tournament, and I think there must have been about forty women and hundred and twenty guys or something. And my first heat, I was so nervous. I, my board felt like it was made of cement. Huh. I couldn't couldn't turn, and I was so disappointed. Welcome to my world. Yeah. <laughs> and you're teaching your daughter to surf. Yeah. Well. I'm concerned.
0: Yeah. So am I. Yeah.
1: <laughs> she needs to be too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anywho, um, and I. I was so nervous and and so disheartened by my performance that I I actually decided to go back out and prove to myself that I can surf. And after the next free surf, I went, okay, I can still do this. I'm not going to allow myself to be defined by that one poor performance. I'm going to continue on. And so I then started competing in the regional events and I – the Surfing Australia way back in the eighties uh, had developed this high performance program, and it was a talent identification program. And they took me along with all these other kids or girls from around the country. So, and they still do it, but it's a Lane beachley camp now. It's uh, I, I, it I mentor and coach um, all the the two best under sixteen year olds from every state once a year up in out at the high performance center in Kajurina. And back in the eighties, uh, it was a demountable at Lennox head. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> Times have changed. As Times we have said. changed. Good wave, though. Still <laughs> a good wave. <laughs>
1: Still a great wave. There's a few, a bit of marine life out there that's causing there a bit is. of havoc. Anyway.
0: I can't get, when I finish surfing, I can't get back on those rocks without dinging myself on my board every mm. single time. Yeah. Every single time. Later. Right. Do you turn your board over? Oh, I turn my board over. I turn myself over. I get yeah. hit in the head. Anyway. Yeah.
1: Yeah. They're yeah. precarious. those they works.
0: are, yeah. And at the moment, as you said, with the marine life. But yes. anyway, so
1: anyway, we anyway, yes, we digress. I'm a Gemini. I run off on all sorts of random tangents. <laughs> Which is perfect. Stick You're with me. I know, right? That's, that's yeah. The thing. <laughs> Squirrel. Oh, look, a shiny thing. Anyway, <laughs> I went to this uh, high performance camp and I learned how to structure a heat plan. I learned how to sit and watch the conditions and time sets and work out where the best ways were and create a plan B and and I put that into practice at the, the next regional, uh, the state. Was it? Yeah, it was the the regional scholastic titles and I won them and then I went to the state scholastic titles and I won them and then I went to the national scholastic titles and had a horrible time I was the new girl on the team two girls on the team seven or eight guys was harassed threatened intimidated bullied just ah oh. It just no fun. It shattered me. I, I, you know, I'm strong and I'm resilient and I'm tenacious and I can stand up and give it as good as I get it. But they just gave it incessantly and I couldn't take it. And that, that made me reassess my, um, my path to. World Championship. That made me reassess my path to the pro tour. So what it made me do is I avoided the amateur scene from then on. I didn't mm. want anything to do with team surfing. I'm only going to compete in individuals' uh, contests that don't revolve around having a team to travel somewhere and do something because I didn't like it. Didn't so, you, so you turned pro. So I turned pro. Yeah. I was still in high school. And I I didn't really, I mean, I turned pro and what that meant was that gave me the ability to uh, enter into the big pro events. And so all that really meant was paying a prize money, paying um, an entry fee and paying a membership fee back to then was the ASP. So I paid my membership fee, competed in my first event Pee or fee, did I say? Either. Either. Either You went in it. I peed and I I paid a fee. Uh, (laughs) Anyway, I came dead last in my first Pro Tour event. Again? Again. Up against Pauline Mensah. And she only beat me by 0.1 of a point or something. But back then, you know, that that meant a lot to me. A loss is a loss. A loss is a loss. But it also meant I was really close. Uh, And so once again, I had to revert back to the drawing board and start all over again. I haven't really answered your question in regards to um, who identified your talent, or were there people yeah. who were supportive of you? And it was the guys in the water, uh, and I surrounded myself. Very fortunately, I started working when I was 15, fourteen, I think, at the local surf, surf shop. shop. Of course, and it, Guy Leach owned it. He was a part owner with Doug Lees, and hanging out with Guy Leach is like hanging out with a motivational uh, quote. Right. <laughs> An extraordinary man. The first
0: time I ever sat in commentary with him in the Iron Man, mm. we had to call the call and go to gold. I'd never called a surf iron uh, life saving before. It's all right. You have a chat with Leachy. He comes in at 30 seconds before, in his freaking speedos, well, sits wow. down. At least he wasn't nude. Well, near as. Closer. And said, All right, cock, away we go. But. <laughs> um, I, the the time I spent on that for three years with him and Trevor Hendy, oh. you'd come home every weekend just ready to charge on life. Yeah, because they just like you said, like a motivational quotes. Those yeah. two,
1: Trevor is adorable, and uh, Leechy I refer to as one of my honesty barometers. And between the two of them, I just I draw on their wisdom and their knowledge and their positivity and their enthusiasm for life, and and just. I, I surround myself with people like that as much as I possibly can because they elevate you. And so, you trained with him too as I well. I did train with Leachie. The fun thing about training with Lychee, because I trained with him as a kid and then I came back when I was competing and trained with him again, and and you have to reassure Lychee as much as he reassures you, actually, more so, I think, because we were doing this underwater training and he's, you know, six foot and mm. massive mm. lungs. And, um, and so, we were doing this. Uh, competition against each other where we'd go under and then see who'd get the furthest up the pool. And he'd always go 10 metres beyond me. And he's like, how good is this, Gigi? How good am I? Gigi, like, as yeah, in Gidget? Gigi, yeah. That was That's, your nickname? That was my nickname. He still calls me Gigi, <laughs> or Gijwa. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I was always going, you're awesome, you're awesome, Lutie. <laughs> Which, <he loves. laughs>
0: Which he loves. Which he loves. Which he loves.
1: Well, he doesn't usually wait for someone to tell him. No. He,
0: no. <laughs> <laughs> my first training session with him was at uh, Karawa. And he said, oh, we'll just go for a swim. I want you to get an idea of what it's like to compete in this. We'll just swim 100 metres out there. And it's like six foot on And I'm like "Well." I'm no. not not exactly, you know, uh, Libby Trickett here, <laughs> and he says, "I don't. will keep an eye on you, on you. You know, fifty meters out. He's one hundred and fifty meters out. I'm thinking, I oh, keep an eye on me. You? Yeah, yeah. Thanks, <laughs> thanks Leachy.
1: Thanks, thanks for your support. Yeah. Thanks for that, Leechy. But as, you know, there was people like him and, and other surfers around. Barton Lynch was was a great mentor. Um, Pam Burrage also. Uh, Stuart Entwistle, um, there was other world champions and other surfers who were in the water who were very honest and supportive and encouraging. So they were the kind of people that I always sought or s- I was always looking for counsel and uh, guidance and, and um, support from. And those guys and girls um, were constantly elevating me and, and nurturing my talent and, and also telling me, okay, that's looking good, but you may want to do something different or try this or try that. And And so for every one of the guys that paddled up to me and and were giving me crap you know mm. there was a lot of hostility and threats in the water in the 70s and 80s there was a lot of pulling of leg ropes and pushing and cutting off and spitting water and you know people growling in my face guys paddling up to me and saying you're a girl get out of the water all that kind of hostility that I refer to those people as my dream thieves and life vampires they're the ones <laughs> that really don't add any value to your life and and at times of course you want to be loved you want to be liked you want to fit in you want to be accepted and, and when you get you surrounded by all this hostility and negativity you start to question and doubt yourself so I would always paddle away from that. When I had the confidence within myself, I would paddle away from that and go and sit with the guys who believed in me and supported me. So for every five of the life vampires or the dream thieves, there was one who was the honesty barometer, and I always gravitated towards that one. There were days when there was no honesty barometers in the water and I would paddle in with my tail between my legs and tears in my eyes. So you don't always have the courage to stand up or the conviction to stand up and fight.
0: Plenty more of Lane Beachley still to come, but first, a preview of next week's episode of the Howie Games, featuring one of the most stylish batsmen of the modern era. Could this bloke play Damien Martin? Sometimes, whether you burn out or you're just done, you know, in something, you know, it's hard to explain when you now you're out of it 10 years, but at that state, it was just... I had to get out. I was just done mentally, physically. I was just... I just felt that... I was going to go
1: down a path where, you know, yeah, you know, and you you know, like being on these tours, you're sitting in rooms by yourself. You know, everybody thinks it's so glamorous, okay, but there is times where you're just sitting alone,
2: sitting around, you know, with your thoughts, whether you're, you know, you're depressed about making no runs
1: or whatever it is, it's hard.
0: That's Damien Martin coming up next week. Now, please, subscribe to The Howie Games so you don't miss any upcoming episodes. And if you have two minutes, it would be great if you could give us a rating on iTunes. That would be just dandy. Back to Lane. Have you read Andre Agassi's book? Open. Open. Love and it. And the, the thing that strikes me about that is it uh, just... I think the first 30 pages are good a good sport book as you'll read. Yes. You just... You just can't comprehend how much self-doubt he has. Mm. Reading your book again, which has got a lot of your diary entries in it, mm-hmm. even when you were on top of the world, you were doubting yourself mm. constantly lame. Mm. That really surprised me.
1: Self-deprecating too. Yeah. And then making, trying to make up for it somehow by putting others down. I mean, I was, yeah, I did have a lot of self-doubt and a lot of Why? S- internal... Why when
0: you became good? Why mm. when you became a multiple, which yeah. we'll get to... Why then do you still question whether you're good enough when you've got three, four, five, six world titles on your belt?
1: Comparison with yourself, others, worrying about what everyone else is thinking. Okay, it's just that it's just that desperation to to be good enough. Can't and be so, much fun
0: when you're sitting in a hotel room in Biarritz by yourself and you've just got beat yeah. and you're just saying, Well, I'm no good anymore. I've lost this. I yeah. don't like the way I look. And then I don't you've like got the way m- I surf. Yeah, and then you've
1: got the media weighing into it as well. Yeah. So, you become so distracted by what everyone else is thinking and saying that you stop self defining. And that was so, when you're not self defined, when you're not aware of your own values and how you define yourself, then you become conditioned by external circumstances and, uh, and you continue to buy into those. So, when everything's good, you're up. When everything's down, you're down, and it's this emotional, physical, mental roller coaster. There's no consistency, uh, and and if you've succeeded in that pattern, you will continue to manifest that pattern in your life.
0: So right. when you fin- win your first world title in eight, is it? 98. 98, you win your first world title, and then you, you say you won six on a trot. Mm. You've just won your first world title. Take me to that moment then, how you've just, you know... You've just become the champ, the best in the world, mm. what you wanted to achieve, to be worthy of the love, etc. Are you worthy of love at that stage? No, no, you're not yet. Right. No. Why not? You've got there, Lane.
1: Well, that was just part of the journey. Um, you know, a lot of people think that was, enough. Be, yeah, well, I, obviously it. I don't. Yeah. So obviously, and, <laughs> <laughs> I remember it was funny when you just asked me, take me back to that moment. I physically felt being there just then. And I just went, all I feel is a sense of relief. Like, oh, thank God that's done. I've done it now. But it wasn't, it wasn't a sense of complacency. It was just relief. Like, okay, whew, I can stop saying it. <laughs> I can stop saying I want to be world champion. I can now say I am a world champion, and the power of "I am" is that they are the two most powerful words in the English language. "I am" because it's a declaration to the universe, and what you put after them shapes your destiny and your reality. So, if you every time you use the words "I am" and you state this declaration, you are going to be emo- you are going to be emotionally supported in that. So, if you wake up in the morning saying "I am tired," then that's the declaration, mm. and the universe will always support you in what you want. Um, and so. I am a world champion, fueled my confidence and fueled my belief in myself. And at the time, Ken Bradshaw, who was my partner and and supporter and coach and mentor and board shaper and everything, he went, you are the best in the world and you will be the best of the best. And that's what I, I always wanted to be, the best of the best. I never allowed the history books to dictate to me what I could or could not achieve. I just wanted to be the best of the best. So what I did was I looked at the history books and went, well, what does the history say about the best? Well, Lisa Anderson's won four in a row. Yep. Let's go for five. And after I won my fifth, Kelly Slater won five in a row. Well, I've matched him. I need to be better than that. So I won six.
0: We used to play this game at uni. Um it just struck me now when you mentioned Kelly Slater. I hadn't thought of this for years where it was like a game when we'd be having beers. Imagine. Imagine if um, at that stage um, Shane Warne could bat like uh, Steve Waugh. Mm-hmm. Imagine what you'd be out with. And I remember one night rolling out that, imagine if Lane Beachley and Kelly Slater got together. <laughs> what their child could do on a surfboard. And everyone's like, whoa, yes, I think that was the overall winner. Really? But you wanted to go past Kelly.
1: I don't think Kelly would need me to add any, <laughs> no, well, well, <laughs> any more value to the child that he would produce, <laughs> honestly. No, I think you <laughs> will be okay. He's incredible on his own. I,
0: I think he'll be okay. Yeah. So the first time we met, you won't remember it, uh, a show called Sports World on Channel 7 oh hosted by goodness. Joanna Griggs. Yes. And at that stage it could have been Dermot Brereton or Paul Salmon, etc. I was a very, very junior producer and my job was to look after the guests and you came in it's probably 2001 so you're probably a three or four time world champion right, yeah. and you come in with this enormous fella
1: yeah
0: um who is ken bradshaw mm. and i don't know him except that he's your partner at the time um and it's i said a lot
1: like buzz light yeah,
0: yeah a huge <laughs> man physical presence and i start talking to him mm. um you know about surfing one foot waves at ocean grove and he's telling me about surfing 40 foot waves at yeah. Jaws, and i thought wow this this is a remarkable character mm. um you guys had a remarkable relationship. Mm. Uh, your, your personal relationship is yours, but the relationship that you had to push you to get that five mm. is extraordinary. I reckon Lane.
1: it is extraordinary. And the great thing was is that Ken, as as supportive and loving and nurturing as he was, he was also um, he was also really good at mitigating distractions. So he he was really good at identifying my weaknesses and. That's what athletes do. Athletes are always looking for constructive feedback because we don't want to know what we're doing right. We want to know what we're doing wrong so we can fix it and get on with it and okay. let it go and keep moving. And a lot of people just focuses on their weak on their strengths and they become their weaknesses. So you need a healthy balance of both. Unfortunately, I wasn't very balanced in that. I was constantly focusing on the weakness, which also fueled my my lack of belief and self doubt. Um, and so I still made it work. And so when I first started dating Ken you he was positive and and he noticed you know he I was the most uh consistent competitor in Hawaii, but there was still a lot of improvements to make. You know, I loved big okay. waves and big waves suited my surfing style because I'm quite a powerful surfer, even though I'm, I'm pint size in stature, I'm <laughs> gargantuan in, in spirit. In power. Yeah, in power. And power. Yeah, and I love surfing powerful waves. So Hawaii really suited me and I loved being there and Ken lived on right on the beachfront at Sunset Beach. So I fell in love with Hawaii and fell in love with Ken, fell in love with the process of just constantly and relentlessly pursuing improvement. And relentless.
0: So, relentless. That's, that's the word that I get again from you reading Beneath the Waves. It was, I was relentless. Relentless, the campaign you guys set out.
1: We did set out quite a fierce campaign, and that's when I was quoted as having the compassion of a tiger shark. I was fierce, very fierce. And w- when I reflect back on that, <laughs> um, that, that ferocity actually and that fierceness uh, and that relentless pursuit cost me a lot. I mean, everyone sees... The, the glamour and the the awards and the the championships, accolade, the championships and, you know, the, the fame and the fortune and all that comes with it. Uh, but for me, um, I also acknowledge that it cost me my quality of health, cost me my quality of happiness, cost me my quality of relationships, cost me my quality of joy. And so there's a lot of my world title campaign that I'm not proud of. And when I won my seventh world title, the one thing that I promised myself and the one Pack that I made was every time I walked out of the water, I would be proud of myself, and I was I uh, proud of the competitor I'd become. I'd pre- I was proud of the human being I'd morphed into, mm. and I was proud of my effort. Um, and you can't expect anything more than that. But because my expectations were so unrealistic, as long and so were Ken's, just made life really, really hard, really, really challenging. So I'd come out of the water coming second and ball my eyes out. And everyone thought I was being a bad loser. But I was so distraught because I'd let Ken down and then I'd let myself down that it just created this snowball effect and this... uh, just well, well, most, got, most you know, experience. we're here in,
0: in Australian sport, we just take it one week at a time. Yeah. You, you guys set up a four year
1: Four year campaign. So you it was can't almost enjoy the two. Campaign. Well, you can't I
0: enjoy two or three or four because and I you're didn't. still on the way to five. And
1: and when I now I go in and as a motivational speaker and a workshop facilitator teaching people about what it takes to sustain success. One of the things that you must do to sustain success is celebrate success. Which and you weren't doing. I don't remember my second world title. I don't remember winning it because I didn't celebrate
0: it. You're already under your. I was already on my third. third.
1: Yeah. So, well, but after I won my first one, I celebrated it, I anchored it. And when you anchor it, it stimulates adrenaline and and a, you know, a hormone response that actually fills you full of happiness and joy, and you're like, oh, I like feeling this way, then that enables you to maintain your motivation towards putting in the work and the effort and going through the ebbs and flows of success and failure to achieve your ultimate dreams. One, tick, got it. Two, tick, got it. Three, tick, got it. After the third one, I went, hey, this is pretty remarkable. I need to start celebrating, and I started having parties. Ken didn't appreciate it, but that's what I really wanted to do. And it was During my fifth world title campaign that I realised, you know, I need to get out of this relationship. This isn't serving me anymore. I mean, he's been – we were a formidable duo Mm. uh, and he taught me so much uh, in surfing and and it was actually one afternoon we were doing an interview during a – we were filming a movie together called The Billabong Odyssey – and the guy asked me, "What has Ken taught you?" And I could rattle off a million things Ken's taught me about big wave surfing and about focus and discipline and dedication and um, breath training and uh, reading f- weather maps and like I've just learned uh, tow-in surfing and you know navigating my way around really big open ocean swells and things. And when he said, "So what's Lane taught you?" and he couldn't answer the question. Come on, Ken. Yeah, come on, Ken.
0: Come on, Ken.
1: And then he went to surf small waves. and I went okay this is not working (laughs) we're not contributing to each other's life equally here it's time to move on (laughs) and it was really hard to get out of there but I did I made the break and and I'm incredibly grateful for the relationship that we shared and and the knowledge that we shared and the love that we shared and and one the one thing I recognized throughout that whole campaign with Ken is it's really important to have that one person in your corner that's honest with you that can eliminate distractions, mm. can identify some of your weaknesses and bring them to your attention in a loving, compassionate way um, that's not unrealistic and doesn't uh, project their own expectations onto you. It's really important that you have that person in your corner that you can be that they can be that sounding board and that, that pillar of, of unconditional support.
0: So when Ken's playing that role and somehow you explained to me your mum? Comes back into your life, oh yes. And Ken saying, "Hang on, <laughs> hang on, we got world well titles." You're to win. a distraction. Yeah, woman. my girl doesn't want distractions. Mm. How, how did all that happen, Lane?
1: Yeah, not well. It's um,
0: was, was it a phone call or an email? Or uh, did you go looking for
1: it? She came looking for me, and um, it was around about the time that uh, Google had appeared, and she googled me after she contacted Dad, and she managed to find Dad, called him he put two and two together he realized that yeah this woman's legit this is lane's mother told her that i was away she assumed i was a journalist and she googled me and realized i was i was about to win my sixth, sixth uh, no second world title and then she um, called me, and then the, the communication started, and I agreed to meet her. Did and you I, want to take the call? Was it weird taking the call? I didn't know it was her. I, I just—it oh, was before you, just you had the phone. Yeah, well, this was before mobile phones. Oh, <laughs> so <laughs> I, how did she, she well, introduce herself? No, actually, it's not before mobile phones. This was nineteen ninety-nine, so I did have a mobile phone, but she called my home phone. So, how did she introduce herself? Hi, Elaine. This is Maggie. I'm your mum. Oh. And on she went. And I instantly put down the phone and see, the thing with with adoptees from my own personal experience Mm. and from a lot of adoptees that I speak to, we have this, a lot of us have this unconscious fear of rejection because we've been rejected. And it tends to play out in two ways. You either reject others or you act in a way that gives people a reason to reject you. And you become a self-fulfilling prophecy because as I was saying to Michelle this morning, most of us would rather be right than happy. Right? So (laughs) I told you so. I'm right. Okay? And I rejected my mother because I wanted to be right. And I didn't want to believe her story. I didn't want to believe that I was conceived through rape. I didn't want to believe most of the story. And then I had to own up to that. Uh, And it's taken me a long time to do that. But I agreed to meet her and I went to San Francisco. She lives in America and hasn't – she left Australia right after she gave birth to me and hasn't come back and – um, so we get married.
0: The first time you saw her, did you see yourself in her? Yeah, I was like looking in a mirror in so 17 you knew years. That's my there was you, no you question. You didn't have to say you were in a red jumper or whatever. No, that's, that's my mum.
1: <laughs> that's my mum. Yeah. And Ken was concerned. He's like, Oh is she a gold digger, a fame digger, you know, being <laughs> good super
0: good pre- Yeah, good to Ken. protect you.
1: Lower down the wingspan, buzz like yeah. <laughs> take a deep breath. You cannot fly around this room with your eyes closed. And so he he allowed me to go on my own and, and I went and met her with her and we actually just met at the airport in San Fran. I flew in, flew out. Um, And, yeah, there was no question she was my mother. It was good to meet her. But then when she showed up at the surf contest, he knew how I felt about it. And I hadn't explained that to Maggie, my mother, but Ken uh, and I had very open, flowing forms of communication. We spoke very openly and candidly together. And and I told him exactly how I felt. And so men love to fix everything and they love to protect the ones that they love. That's what we do. That's what you do. In theory. In theory. In theory. Which tends to sometimes compromise certain Mm -hmm. things. So, in order of in in Ken's mater- paternal nurturing ways, he wanted to fix it. So he just cleared it out. Stay away timing's everything, your sucks, get out of the way.
0: You're affecting your performance. You're affecting your performance. We might and not I, win
1: We right. might not win this world title. We might not win mm. this event.
0: Mm.
1: Yeah. And it wasn't until it wasn't until Mike Munro walked into my lounge room and went, Lane, this is your life, and I told him to get, oh. um, that uh, when Ken walked out into the stage, I didn't know Ken was there. You, know, you don't know who's coming on. No. Ken walked out and sat down and said, we're going for our fifth this year. I just went, okay, Ken. We. We. I appreciate your support, Ken. And Anna Mears said it beautifully after Rio. She said, a good coach can change your ways. A great coach can change your life. And Ken was a great coach. He changed my life. But he had to realise that I was not his life. He had to continue living his own life. And I felt like he was vicariously living through my life.
0: And if you don't mind me asking now, you and your mum?
1: Me and my mum, it's still... It's still tenuous. It's it's is it, a, not... is
0: it a phone call? Is it an email? It's
1: an email. Okay. I got a call from... Actually, she emailed me on my wedding anniversary. On our Kirk and I just celebrated our sixth wedding anniversary on the 10th of the 10th of the 10th. And um, that's when we got married. And so we won't forget. And she uh, sent me an email just congratulating me. And But it's basically two lines. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I wouldn't say it's a mother-daughter relationship right. by any stretch of the imagination. One thing... One other
0: thing that Ken, being a big Hawaiian man... Um, he probably took you to a level of big wave surfing that, well, let's be honest, that no woman has done before. There's still that vision of you at, I think it's ours, Oh, is yes. It? Yeah, it's ours. Um, tell me about surfing big waves.
1: So Ken was a pioneer. He was a big wave surfing pioneer. He's a Texan. And so he left Texas. And oh, the,
0: all the good waves he used to pick up in Texas.
1: Yeah, especially when the barges come through. Yeah, right. <laughs> Epic dude,
0: Gnarly, bro. Humping.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, he followed his dream to Hawaii because he used to be a, a gridiron player and he followed his dream. It's funny, you know, I think about Ken and his fa- his relationship with his father and typical fathers who just want the best for their kids, but in that protection mechanism, that self that survival mode mechanism they say keep it as a hobby son because they don't want their kids to fail Mm. so they're like no you know get a real job and and ken just wanted to prove to his dad that he could make it and he won a couple of really big events and i think his dad finally got it similar to my husband kirk who plays for in excess his dad always said keep it as a hobby son and then they went on to become the biggest band in the world so (laughs) thanks for that dad thanks dad sound advice Fortunately, so that, my dad never said keep it as a hobby. So
0: he got you out into enormous. What, what, he like, did. What's the biggest wave you surfed? Fifty
1: foot. And actually, Ken foot. wasn't there that day. But he, how many he, stories is that? Five stories.
0: Five stories high. Yeah. He wasn't there, was he? Because no. I think it was a big storm. And he oh, he was away actually. He
1: was at no. He was at a. Um, he was at a trade show or something in Florida. So what's it
0: like to surf a wave that's five stories high? Frightening. Is it? Yeah. Is there any other thing or it's just frightening?
1: Adrenalising. Is it? Uh, Is that a word? Yeah.
0: Well you've made it up. (laughs) when you surf fifty foot waves you can (laughs) call it whatever your body likes. Let's be completely frank.
1: Dynamicism.
0: Right. That's a good one too.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Dynamic. Is it just It was amazing. It was adrenalizing. Can you still picture it? I can. I can still feel it. I can still feel standing on top of that five story building. I was so full of adrenaline, excitement, fear. I was so alert. I was so alive. Every cell in my body was right there. I was so. And the good thing about it was I'm a Gemini. So I have, you know, the average human being has between 50 to 70,000 thoughts a day. As a Gemini, I reckon I have about ninety, and so minimum,
0: <laughs> minimum. I reckon that's by lunchtime for yeah, you. Yeah,
1: true. And so it silenced everything. I was just completely and a hundred percent in the moment.
0: So there's nothing else.
1: There's nothing else going on, and so I went. Ah, oh, this is amazing. And then, right as I went to commit, the first word that came into mind was "don't fall." And I'm thinking, the last thing I want to think about is what I don't want to happen. Yeah. So I had the presence of mind to, to reverse it and ask myself Lane, what do you want? And the first thing that came to mind was just stay standing. I thought that's a good outcome. I'll go with that.
0: And, you and s- I made it. Do you sit back that night and uh, yeah, do you have a feeling of satisfaction when you achieve something like that as opposed to a, a trophy?
1: Yes, absolutely. It's, yeah, a sense of personal satisfaction, physical satisfaction. See, when Ken rode the biggest wave that he'd ever ridden, which was oh, 86 foot
0: So we're talking nine stories now.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Um, When he rode that wave, he had post-big wave depression because he thought he was never going to ride something Like that ever again.
0: So he was flat. That's as big as it gets.
1: That's as good as it gets. Really? It's much like the Eagles. They gave up after Hotel California because they they thought that's as good as it gets. (laughs) It's not going to get any better than this. Well, if you're
0: riding nine-storey waves, then... Yeah,
1: but why are you placing those limitations on yourself? How do you know what's going to happen? How do you know what's going to happen to technology? What's going to happen to big wave surfing? Now we're seeing 100-foot waves in Portugal being ridden. So there's girls that have gone on and ridden bigger waves than me. But at the time, that was the record of of uh, and I didn't call anyone to let anyone know I was out there so I don't have any vision of it but it's in my head I could plug a USB into my ears and download it feed it to you
0: well, the, the but numbers. I actually
1: share it in my motivational speaking I share that story because I love it it just it brings it takes me back there and and because it's it's so clear in my head I'm able to take people on that journey with me I love it it's good fun
2: Last week on the Howie game the great right guru Greg Norman Daddy is still banging on about how tight he is with the shark, Big Penguin. Tell me about it, Pickle. I don't reckon old Sharky would know Daddy if he popped up in his cornflakes. True dat, Pango. Anyway, it's a rip At the end of the day, it is just a game. It's just, the sport is just sport. And there's always going to be somebody who's going to be better than you. There's always going to be a lot of people who are a lot worse off than you, so... You know, when I look back at it, I go and I walk down the trophy hall with my grandson and start <laughs> talking about it. You know, those are the things that um, that will be very, very powerfully reflected um, in my years to come. Check out Greg and the rest of our back catalogue. But now, back to Lane.
0: Now, Laney... You've already been really good with your time, and the producer of the Howie Games, uh, the great MJ has walked in. Michael Jackson. Yes, Michael James. <laughs> and he's like, he's like this morning, he's like, oh, will Kirk be there? Will Kirk be there? He's, oh, he's what a big am I not man. enough for you, MJ? Well, you are
1: for me, as you <laughs> well know. Thank you, Howie. But, Lane, not I that remember, it matters to me. I remember reading it about
0: it, <laughs> and I thought, Gidget, the girl at the beach, and there's this sort of pasty rock star type with yeah. a Clarko moustache. <laughs> this this is just uh, this is new idea, making things up again, like Leighton totally. and Beck.
1: Yep. Absolutely. It was a complete facade. Where'd
0: you meet him? How did you meet him? You know
1: what? Well, when we did the Celebrity Grand Prix together. Yes. What year was that? Oh many years ago, back in I the early a 2000s. a you were, Yeah, I well, remember. you were. You were celebrity enough to be in the race. <laughs> yeah. John Stevens was in there that year. Right. Right. And I met John Stevens and got to know him really well doing the Celebrity Grand Prix. And at the time, he was the lead singer or front man of In Excess. Mm. And so I've been an In Excess fan since I was a teenager. Of course, I love the band. Every Aussie does. Mm. And so he said, I really want to introduce you to Kirk. And I said, why? <laughs>
0: that dude with the funny mo? Yeah,
1: with the, 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 the dorky looking guy with the glasses at the front of <laughs> the the stage that...
0: Hello, Kirk, if you're listening.
1: <laughs> ...plays saxophone guitar and sings. Like, he's talented, but, geez, seriously. And he said, I really think you two will get along great. And... When I came home from France and I'd just broken up with Ken, I had to go over to John's house to pick up tickets to a Private in Excess show, and I told him. And, and John went—he was like clapping his hands in glee. Oh, <gasps> awesome! Okay, it's on. It's on. I'm introducing you to Kirk next week, and you guys will get along like a house on fire. You both know what it takes to succeed and become the best in the world. You both know, you know, all the the ins and outs of traveling the world, and and the trust and the just everything that goes on with being successful. You know, there's a lot of layers to it. Apparently. Sorry, Howie, (laughs) you're there, I know you're there We're just still battling away (laughs) It's all about perspective That's right So I went to this show and I stood at the front of the stage And I was looking at John Stevens going, John, you're hot, Kirk, you're so (laughs) nice Like, seriously, John, can I go in with you first, please? (laughs) And hello to John Stevens Hello, Johnny, (laughs) hello, Hello, (laughs) Rangi. So Rangi was adamant that Kirk and I would get along Now, Kirk was this overweight, pasty, balding Hawaiian shirt wearing, barefoot rock star. Come, went, on, Kirkie. Come on, Kirky. Come on, Kirky, you can do better than that. Now he's this gorgeous, handsome, adorable, loving, nurturing husband of mine who I just, I'm so grateful for Rangi, that he saw something that both Kirk and I did not see. First date? Horrendous. <laughs> no good. No connection, Come no on, chemistry, Kirk. no interest. I took him 10-pin bowling at DYRE. <laughs> oh, you did
0: it. You are i uh,
1: I'm a classy broad.
0: Oh, that would have got me across the line. I'm not sure if it's one of the world's biggest rock stars. <laughs> you can
1: take the girl out of Manly. You can't take Manly out of the girl. 10-pin bowling. 10-pin bowling at DYRE. And, and we, go we with won that. one game each. I won the first one, he won the second one, and I did not let him win. No. As the trophy room would attest.
0: And you would have spewed about getting beat. I was
1: pissed, yeah. (laughs) But I wasn't drunk because we weren't allowed to drink. And the whole reason I took him to 10-pin bowling at DYR is because apparently we were both allowed to drink.
0: Right. you weren't allowed. We
1: weren't allowed. So that was off to a very slow start. Then we walked down to DY beachfront to go for dinner. And I decided to pay for everything because I thought this guy's probably used to having to pay for everyone and everything. Mm. So I'm going to take him out. So at least I had some decorum. And all the way to DY Beachfront, he was talking about surfing, and I was just shaking my head, going, Seriously, this guy thinks I know nothing else other. Because I'm dressed as a surf rat, I've got the blonde, you know, surfy rat hair, and I, I'm a surf rat. I'm five times world champion. Of course, I love surfing, but I do have other interests in life. And he just obviously wanted to draw those. Long bows of of relation and mm. understanding. So he's talking surfing. I'm thinking this is going to be good. And then we get to the restaurant. Halfway through dinner, we're yawning in each other's face. There's no chemistry, no connection. There's nothing going on. I'm You're thinking, thinking
0: about John Stevens? Well, I'm
1: thinking about Rangi. Yeah. <laughs> At the time, I'd been spending I'd been spending a lot of time with Chris Isaac. So I'm thinking about Chris. And I'm thinking like, why do I? Why am I here? Do I have to stay here any longer? Went to the bathroom, look for a window to climb out of. <laughs> did you really? I did. <laughs> You make me laugh. <laughs> and while I'm sitting there, and I mean, while I'm in the bathroom looking for a window to climb out, Kirk's sitting at the table thinking, if I just leave money and do a runner, will she notice? Oh, Kirk, he was uh, out too. He was out. We're We'd off. both tapped out. And then he's thinking, well, actually, my car's at her house, so I have to get back to her house, and I'm not going to just sit at the front and wait. Awkward. Mm, awkward. So... Awkward. so He stayed and I walked out of the bathroom and looked at him and, oh, he's still here, damn it. Okay, we'll continue. And the owner of the restaurant sat down with a fresh bottle of limoncello that his grandmother had made. This is an Italian restaurant on D.Y. Beachfront. It's no longer there, unfortunately. And uh, the three of us polished it off.
0: So that was what you needed.
1: That's all we needed. Just a bit of lemon cello. So just when you've had
0: fifteen glasses of that, all of a sudden Kirky was just starting to
1: look okay? Yeah, no, no, it wasn't about looking. Right. Had I been was a that bit more entertaining. Sh- had I been that shallow, I wouldn't have even gone on the first date. <laughs> <laughs> Hello again to Kirk. Hope <laughs> hey, you're enjoying this episode of the Howie Games. <laughs> <laughs> but what it was, is just allowing us both to relax and let go and stop trying to impress each other. Stop trying to look for these long bows of connection and understanding. Just, just communicate just have a chat and then when we did we really enjoyed each other's company and we dated each other for a week on the way home I had the horrendous hiccups and he just thought that was the most adorable thing <laughs> ever and then when we got home I made him sit on the couch and watch Monsters Inc <laughs>
0: You are a hot day. I'm a hot day. i been painting a Monsters Inc. <laughs> and trying to get out the bathroom window.
1: <laughs> painting a beautiful picture. <laughs> yeah. So after wow, all of that, catch. after a week, we went our in separate ways. He went off on tour to South America. I went off on tour back to Fiji and Hawaii. We came back together at Christmas, and we've been together ever since. So we married eight years later on the tenth of October, 2010 and toasted with limoncello after the ceremony. Ah, oh, now it's a beautiful thing. That is a beautiful. Do thing. Do you play In Excess at home? I'm not allowed to play In Excess at home. It really? gets really self-deprecating. No, no, they're self-effacing. He's just really, he gets embarrassed. So and, uh, and I turn. So every time he gets in my car, it's on. You know, I'm always listening to In Excess. I love it. My ringtone is his saxophone solo from Never Tear Us Apart. And so. doesn't like listening. He just gets embarrassed. Does he? Yeah. Embarrassed at being great. Embarrassed at being great. Yeah, life yeah. must be tough. Yeah, it's a pretty, it's a rough life. You know what? So he never used to display any of his memorabilia or any of his platinum or triple platinum trophies or anything. And so when he came to my house, my trophies are all around my house. And mm. so when we moved in together and bought a house, we created a trophy room. And it's straight to the pool room. It's directly out of the castle, but all the memorabilia is our own. No jousting sticks. and
0: he <laughs> get a good price for those.
1: I know. Tell him he's dreaming. <laughs> he was reticent to display his stuff because he thought it would intimidate people. I was like, no, be proud of what you've done. Absolutely. You guys worked your asses off to create the success that you had. And you even encountered rejection from the nation mm. that fell in love with you because, I don't know why, but mm. anyway, they did. and But they were still able to reinvent themselves. They lost the most... Amazing, charismatic, incredibly talented lead singer, uh, and then they were continued to persevere, and they were able to reinvent themselves again. Then they did Rockstar in Excess, and had JD Fortune for a while, and then they, uh, after they lost JD, they've come back with Kieran Gribbon. So they've been able to continue to maintain that sense of momentum that very few bands can do, and it's all because of the brotherhood and the timelessness of their music.
0: So, what have you learnt from? You told me all the things you learnt from Ken. Mm. What do you learn from Kirk?
1: Well, I've learned a lot about image. Um, I've learned a lot about organisation mm. and structure, um, taking time out and giving time to yourself because I've, I've been on the hamster wheel of insanity for way too long. Well, we thinking. just heard
0: about your morning at the start of the show.
1: Yeah, I know, we? right? <laughs> it's crazy. It's, it is a bit crazy. So, Kirk is. Um, Kirk's taught me a lot about self-love and compassion, um, and unconditional love and, and structure. Right, structure creates freedom, and he's very structured, and he's very—I sometimes call him OCD man because he—he's right. got a lot of structures in place, which but is unrockstarish. Very unrockstarish, but. He's just he's he's a Cancerian. I don't know if you believe in in the horoscope side mm. of things, but I do because as a Gemini, I do have those two different personalities, and I'm running at 100 miles an hour, and I'm always very easily distracted. And <laughs> whereas Kirk's a, as a Cancerian, he's a crab. He walks sideways from confrontation. Okay. he's very homely. He likes to keep everything clean and tidy. He's a great gardener, ironer, washer, cook. Kirk's
0: shopper. doing the ironing.
1: He does the ironing, shopping, cleaning. Like yeah, the most he star rock star the history of puts, rockstardom. Men to shame. Every woman wants needs to clone Kirk and take Kirk. Yeah, he's awesome. So he's taught me a lot about life and and love and and just happiness. You know, he's brought a lot of happiness to my life, and we complement each other. Are you happy now? Very, yeah, very happy. He he's been through his own health physical challenges as well with prostate cancer last year, and that caused um, that caused a bit of a speed bump. But we both got through that, and the The good thing about Kirk is that he owns his stuff as well, and he's willing to to share it with others. and And that's the thing. You know, Brene Brown said it beautifully: when when we, when we deny our stories, they define us. But when we own our stories, we get to write the ending. Right. And if you continue to be defined by all these things, then you're never in control. Well, you're never in control anyway. But you're never going to own it, and you're never going to be, you're never going to be able to be the author of your life, and we are the authors of our life. But as long as we're allowing all these external circumstances to dictate our own self-worth, then we're never going to be good enough. And that's what I was in my six world titles. I was just never good enough, Mm. whereas now I realise I am enough.
0: So you're worthy of that love now?
1: I'm worthy of that love, and I'm accepting of that love, and it all starts with the self, and and it's complemented by having someone so loving and nurturing and giving as Kirk in my life. And still, I'm grateful for that. You still surf? I still surf every day. Do you? Except when I'm in Melbourne.
0: Well, it, we should be doing this at Winky because I was sort of three foot in a little westerly today. Oh, really? So it's still cold. Yeah, but though. the water's
1: 14 degrees. Yeah, it's still so it's, cold. I surfed in Alaska and it was 15 yeah, degrees.
0: Yeah, it's still cold. So you still surf?
1: I still surf every for day. Different for now. different reasons now. For different reasons yeah. now. And I've, I've fallen more in love with surfing now than I've ever loved it in my whole life. You know, I'm 44 years old and and I'm, I'm attaining more joy as I get older because I'm just allowing it to happen. I'm not this relentless... Um, control freak, competitive, a competitive beast. beast that just has to has to make it happen. And the mistake that I made when I retired is I went back into that survival mode mentality. And now I realise, you know, you can actually allow things to just flow, and it can be effortless. It doesn't have to be pain and suffering and struggle all the time because we trust in it for too much too long.
0: Lainey, we normally finish the Howie games. Yeah, uh, one of my two with kids. a game. No, well, it, it's like a game. Yeah. Uh, uh, one of my two kids. I got two as everyone knows that listens to this show, a four-year-old by the name of Mac, who woke up one day and declared his new name is the Big Penguin. (laughs) Why? No one knows. He still doesn't know, but he will not answer. Unless you call him, and not just penguin, it has to be big penguin. Bing penguin. Um, like the emperor penguin. Yeah, I don't know. He's a lunatic. And, well, he's uh, your son. Uh, yeah, yes, correct. And the pickle, my six year old, is my daughter. She calls herself the pickle? Well, that's a name I bestowed on her. We still don't really know why, but so I got the pickle has and the penguin. Accepted at she that? Yeah, she loves it. She's embraced it. She often features in the podcast, actually. In fact, she seems more popular than me, but that's a whole other point. <laughs> I always have a chat with him in the morning or the night, last night over dinner. Who are you talking to today, Dad? Oh, Elaine, she's a surfer, and the kids are learning to surf. And nice. whoever is more engaged, with the story that I tell them about the person they put a question mm. to the guest. okay so we have a quest a question uh, for you mm. from the pickle. Oh.
2: Hi Lane Pickle here. <laughs> I'm just Cute. a short break operator on my softies and I'm a bit scared to go at the back so what should I do?
1: And she's six? She's six. I don't she's think I knew the word operator for the six-year-old. <laughs> oh, she's a uh, well-read young lady. You know, so obviously, She's going to she, be a journalist.
0: Yeah, she's operating in the shore, you know, softy, and every time she looks over her shoulder, she has fear about the wave that's coming lane and she wants to know what to do to overcome it. Right. Pickle.
1: Pickle. Thank you, Pickle. Thank you for throwing me under the bus.
0: <laughs> You're lucky he wasn't a penguin because he yeah. popped up with something like, did Lane ever go on a boogie board because I don't think they're cool? And I said, I don't think we can go with I did. board.
1: I did go on a boogie board, but only when the waves were really, really small we used to play boogie board derby. And so all of us would t- catch a wave together and see how many times we could run over each other and stay on our board. The The answer to that question, Pickle, is the only way you can overcome a fear is to first acknowledge that you are afraid and then you have to have the willingness to confront it. And so the only way that you can do that is actually paddling out a little bit further. You have to just get past the, the shore break. The thing with fear is that people think that the only way they can confront it is to go all the way out the back, and that will create more fear. Right. It's like having some, someone having a fear of heights and then going bungee jumping. It's not going to change your fear of heights. You've got to take two steps forward, then take one step back. And so... If she's only surfing the shorey, she just needs to go outside the shorey just a little bit and catch another wave that's just a little bit bigger than the shorey and then ride that in. She'll realise, okay, it's not that bad. You listening to this pickle? Yeah, come on, listen up, pickle. And then after she's had a couple of waves just outside the shore break, she'll get a little bit more comfortable and go, okay, I can do that. Now just go out a little bit further and a little bit further. Because I think about how I was able to build up my ability just going from surfing at Manly and one foot waves to 50 foot waves in Hawaii. Mm. It's it wasn't an immediate transition where I went from surfing shore breaks to 50-foot waves. Yeah. It was a gradual process. And all of us in our lives, we follow processes to improve our capacity and our abilities and our knowledge and our, our learning. So if you're surfing one-foot waves tomorrow, paddle out when it's one and a half. The next day, paddle out when it's two foot. So I started in in one-foot waves. Then I surfed waves that were three foot, then I would paddle out. And so in days when it was ceiling height and I was really scared, I would paddle out with someone and I'd s- let them know I'm scared. And they went, well, just go and sit mm. on the corner and watch it. it. was when I went and surfed hours, I went in there going, that wave is ridiculous. I want nothing to do with that. I can understand. Because I'm scared. Yeah. So I went, well, I'm here now. <laughs> and it's, your, it's all about your attitude. And your attitude starts with how you think. So... If you're willing to overcome it, you will take actions to do so. If you're not willing to overcome it, then you will allow your fear to enable you to become a self-fulfilling prophecy. I can't overcome it, so I won't. And we'd rather be right than happy, right?
0: As you told us, As pickle. I told you. So
1: Pickle, paddle out just past the shore break tomorrow just on the other side of it in between the big clo- the bigger sets yep. at the back and the shore break in the middle get someone to push you into a wave and keep your eyes up surfing is a great analogy for life where you look is where you go and most it surfers is. they don't want to go into the pit but they'll keep looking at it yeah. And Jules Allen taught me this. If you look at the pit, you eat shit.
0: <laughs> now, Pickle, I'm sorry about Lane's sorry, language Pickle. there. Yep. Now, Pickle, if you are listening to this, once you get to 10 foot, Dad's no longer coming with you. And then you're out in your own like, hay I'll Lane. be out
1: there with you, though.
0: Lane, I'll take you. so much having a chat with us on the Howie Games. Um, you covered some very personal topics in a beautiful way. Thank you. Um, You're an AO these days, which is a freaky thing. Lane Beachley AO. Thanks for having a chat with us on the Howie Games. May you catch many more waves.
1: Thanks for inspiring us too, Howie. Thanks for sharing. Cool. Thanks for having me.
0: Ta. Thank you so much to Lane Beachley, a woman in high demand for very, very good reason. Thanks as always to Michael James continues to whack away getting the Howie Games to air. Thank you to you all out there for listening once again. As always, we'll be back with another episode next Thursday. Until then, peace and love.
1: And we can do it if we try, try, try If we try, try, try If we try, try, try Listener